1: KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX.
2: Yes, folks, welcome, and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but before you leave, Mr. Kelly, can I ask you something? Or make a comment? I got time, yeah. Okay, you got time? (laughs) For you, Mike, I always have time. Wow, you're so gracious. But, uh, you know, there's been this great wave of Thievery here at the station. Oh, really? Yeah, yogurt. Yogurt? Yeah, yogurt was getting stolen various places, out of refrigerators and everything else. Oh, no. And this has been, I guess, gotten really serious. Uh Uh-huh. Because when I came in, came through the lobby, went to the kind of kitchen area, they have a guard there. Really? Yeah. Watching the yogurt? Watching the refrigerator to see who goes after anything in there. Really? Yeah. Wow. I think he was asleep, serious? though. <laughs> on the couch. <laughs> I don't think that's a very good guard. I don't think that was a guard, Mike. I think that was one of the other, like, employees here who probably, like, worked all night and then has to get up early to work again. So he's sleeping yeah. on the couch? Yeah. yeah. Wow. I thought that was a guard of the refrigerator yeah. because of the yogurt thievery. You want some yogurt? <laughs> I'm going to go get some. <laughs> Only if it's Greek. Greek? Okay. I'll get you some Greek yogurt. Great. Well, thanks. Thanks for straightening me out. I thought, sure, that was a guard. But, you know, when a guard falls asleep, I am a little concerned. That yogurt thievery was really... I was hardly able to sleep the last couple of weeks. <laughs> okay folks, every Saturday morning we we get together to discuss yard landscape, garden house plans, everything else and you can call right now with your questions, comments or concerns 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Please remember, my words are strictly to open opportunities after that it's going to take work on your part. And it is a great marathon. And sometimes a marathon gets, you're still doing it, whether it's raining really hard or whether it's nice and sunny or whether it's cold, whether it's hot, it doesn't really matter. And we never know what it's going to be like because we live in St. Louis. This is your show, and I appreciate you being here. And thanks to Greg, he's producing again today. This is a Mera. How many weeks in a row? This has probably been several months that he's done it. And he's not sick of the Garden Hotline quite yet. But he's getting a little bit queasy, I can tell. And I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I've written five gardening books. Two are currently available in various locations. And also I write articles for the Missouri Gardener magazine. And during the week, I do landscape consulting. And if you'd like for me to come to your home and do a walk and talk, you can go to my website, which I really haven't updated very well for a long time. I'm just too lazy. I didn't want to, you know. Anyway, MikeMillerDesigns.com on the homepage. There's an email address and a phone number where I can be reached. And today, I'm going to be going for a walk and talk in the city of St. Louis and then heading towards Edwardsville. Actually, in Edwardsville, all holiday shores, truly. But uh, anyway, Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. I called ahead to make sure it'd be okay if I could go in and see the orchid show at the Missouri Botanical Garden. This is the last weekend for it. It's called Orchid Mania. And also, if you're interested in orchids, you can take a class on growing orchids. That's going to be on April 24th. And if you have orchids and you want to learn how to repot them and everything else, there's a class, Do It Yourself, on April 28th. As you step in through, I guess it's a four-year for the Ridgeway Center exhibition hall. I don't know if that hall has a, a name or not, but there's a couple of botanical illustrations of orchids. One's Cattleya and the other one is whatever. There's an electronic message board, which says the history of orchids and how orchids, you know, sort of evolved and became collectibles. And also it talks about uh, when you start taking things out of nature, sometimes you can create some real problems just in general. But the whole orchid show, fantastic combination, very orchidish environment, you know, in the exhibition hall. There's schefleras, there's bromeliads, there's ferns, there's Spanish moss, ficus trees, codiums, there's boulders, there's moss on the ground, too. There's brick-edged beds. The orchid's terrestrial types, like paphiopedium, which basically are ones that grow in soil, the majority of orchids don't grow in soil. They grow, like, attached to tree trunks and things like that. But uh, others, you know, Phalaenopsis, Dendrobiums, totally unique flower structures, each with its own personality. Colors range. It's almost like having a prism and shooting light through the prism. That's the, sort of the array of colors that there is with the orchids. And it's just kind of really neat. On the back wall of the Exhibition Hall, there's a huge... Picture of the Tower Grove house, which was Henry Shaw's country home, which is on the grounds of the Botanical Garden right now. And along the side walls, there's kind of a simulation extension of buildings where orchids were being held way back when. And uh, also, besides the color and the shape of the orchid flowers, even the leaf structures of each one is very unique. Most of them have a basic green color, but a lot of them have tonal bonds and bendings and things like that to give it a little bit of highlight. The variety, of, <laughs> the variety, of, or variety names of the orchids. So, in other words, it's like Catlia and then a variety name like uh, Chit Chat, Tambourine, Helen B. Lawrence, Comquat, Golden Girl, just give you some kind of idea of what's going on there. It was a rainy day, so what better to do, like today, than head down to the Botanical Garden? You can be in a tropical rainforest without getting wet. So why not head down? This is, again, the last weekend for the Orchid Show this year. So today and tomorrow, and that's going to be it, so... Be sure and head down and check out Orchid Mania. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages.
1: This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX.
2: Yes, folks, any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Spring is here. You've probably, last couple weeks, you've seen crocus in flower. You're starting to see definitely the tulip bulbs, you know, pushing up the flower buds, the daffodils as well. Also, I've seen uh, Cornelian cherry, which is a type of dogwood, yellow small flowers in bloom in my neighborhood as I walk down to the snooks. And I've seen magnolias in flower and something really caught me by surprise. I was just kind of wandering through the neighborhood and I couldn't tell what this pink tree was in the distance, but I I didn't want to walk up into the yard, but I think I can't figure out which variety it is, but this looked like a variety, it was a small one, variety of crabapple in flower. This seems really super early for a crabapple to be in bloom, but slowly but surely, the lawns are starting to really green up. Not the zoysias yet, so just watch out for that, and uh, myself this past week i stopped on my way back from a couple walk and talks at uh, garden heights nursery which is on big Bend at basically highway 64 and got three flats of pansies and the, the lady that was checking me out says boy somebody's going to really have to do a lot of planting well let me tell you a trick that i do with pansies basically they have you know i'm kind of a short life because once it starts getting hot they kind of head downhill, so what I do is I put them in window boxes or pots. I fill the window box about halfway up or two-thirds of the way up, or the pot the same thing. And I don't take the pansies out of the cell packs. So in other words, you get six six packs, <laughs> cell packs when you buy a flat. So all I do is I make, you know, I kind of have to cut them sometimes and I just fit them and set them down inside, you know, the whatever it's a window box or a pot. And I make sure that the potting mix that I'd put in there is gonna be at the bottom. So now all I don't have to pull them out of little cell packs or any, or, you know, and plant the individual ones. I just leave them in those plastic, you know, things. And so consequently, all I have to do is water and fertilize, and it's a lot easier and a lot faster. So I actually got, let's see, it'd be 36, 36. That would be 72 plus 36. Whoa, what is that, 108? In about uh, an hour, I got that many planted. So, Anyway, let's head out to Wentzville and see what's going on with Shirley. Shirley, how are you today?
0: I'm just fine, uh, Mike. Thank you. Um, I have a problem with ground moss. I've been told that it grows on a- uh, aesthetic soil. Right. And I have a lot of it in my back, all over my backyard. What can I do to uh, correct the-, the soil?
2: You're never going to get rid of it. So you might as well either embrace it or just don't look down and see it. What it is, it's a product of, yes, acidic soil. It does grow on, but it grows on all kinds of different things. And your, your backyard is probably shaded. It probably has a lot of, let's say, organic matter in the soil. So consequently, these de-mosses and all this other stuff that in theory gets rid of it, it's only a temporary cosmetic thing, and the moss is going to be back. So it's really nothing you can do with it, to be honest with you, except just kind of live with it.
0: Well, if the soil is acidic, should I be changing
2: that for just in general? Uh, not necessarily, because to have successful lawn for years and years and years, people kept saying if you want a more successful lawn, put lime down because lime is alkaline, in other words, salty, and your you know your circumstance is acidic, so that's why the moss is growing. But in reality, lawn grows the best in a slightly acidic. Soil. So, in other words, seven on the sort of the scale of pH is neutral. Anything above seven is more alkaline. Anything below seven is more acidic. But lawn, regular lawns, zoysia, bluegrass, fescues—they like their soil pH slightly acidic. So, about six point five or something in that range. So, changing the pH is not going to really make all that much difference, and it takes huge amounts of Lyme over a great deal of period of time to change the pH. So you're not going to be able to do it just with one application. So you're just kind of wasting your time.
0: Okay. I, I
2: mean, I hate to be a realist, but uh, that's kind of what the circumstance is.
0: Okay. I just have to live with it.
2: <laughs> exactly. And it's not all that bad. You know it's green, it doesn't look like grass blades, and I bet your backyard is shaded or else you know that's certainly helps out, but you don't even need the shade to be honest with you so well,
0: it's, a, it's a quite a bit of shade right uh, yeah,
2: so you're grass- not gonna you're not gonna change the environment and have a, all of a sudden be able to grow more successful lawn or anything else. It just won't happen, okay, sorry,
0: me too. Thank- <laughs>
2: I hate to be, you know, and you couldn't, I mean, it's just, it's very, very difficult to, you know, you can't just, like, one application a year of lime or something like that is not going to change your soil pH whatsoever, so, and this is for anybody, this past week, I was at two different homes, and each home, you know, had trees, you know, and one was in Chesterfield, one was in Oakville, and... They had thin lawns, but you're not going to have really successful lawn. They kept thinking it was shade. Shade is important, but also the tree roots have a huge impact on how thick your lawn is going to be. So, they'll, you know, you have to understand that as well as a pH and the chemistry of the soil and everything else. So let's head out to or over to Shiloh, Illinois, and see what's going on with Chuck. Chuck, how are you today? Mike, good morning. I'm fine. How are you? Very good. Mike, we have a very thick stand of, Shasta daisies. They're, they've never been split, never been transplanted. They've just replicated into a really crowded bundle, probably three feet across. It looks great, but right. I know they're crowded. So, how did, am I going to ruin anything
1: if I split them now, or should I wait till the end of the growing season?
2: Well, if you do it now, I mean, they're already up and growing. The foliage is there, and everything is green and everything is healthy. And is, is this a variety of Shasta daisies that basically blooms in May?
1: Uh, yes, and they and they stay for a month or two.
2: I would say probably wait until the season is over, until they finish blooming, and probably maybe even wait a little bit past that so you can build up the colony a little bit more as far as health and strength-wise. And then consequently, I would probably divide them in probably uh, late August, early September. Great, thank you. And you really don't have to do it. You're just doing it because you want to. Yes, they're... Uh... They're between two concrete sidewalks, and it's just getting overgrown. Right. So, basically, the best thing to do is you can either go at it a couple different ways. You can dig up the whole clump and divide it with a shovel, you know, just chopping into pieces, or you can take sort of individual pie wedges out and pull them up, and then you've got to backfill that hole where you've pulled them out of. Got it, Mike. Thank you very much. Yep. Good luck with that, yeah. I mean, successful uh, anything that gets... Too big, you know, and it's not like a shrub misplaced as far as the initial planting or anything else. But Shasta daisies are, you know, they're one of my favorites. Let's go to Centralia, Illinois, and into Bill's yard. Hi, Bill. Hello. Hi. Hi.
1: Hey, I have have the aftermath of some of the drought on my pines and the way it's been uh, so wet. What would you suggest I fertilize with?
2: Uh, use. It. How, how come you're sure that it's you know something to do with the drought?
1: Well, I, I I think it had to do with the drought because I got some of the little the edge of the needles which remind me of 2012.
2: So the edge of the needles are like brown.
1: On some on. On some, of the, on some of them.
2: Right. It also, what happened is when we had that really, it wasn't super cold, but we had some really bad cold weather damage to pines, a lot of the broadleaf evergreens and everything else in this past January. So I would say, you know, historically, if you've not, you know, if your pines look healthy overall and just because the tips are looking a little bit brownish, those tips are never going to change color. The only way what will happen is when those needles finally fall off, the new growth will, in theory, not have those brown tips unless we have, let's say, a drought again, or we have a severe cold snap, or something along that line. So I would say, if you probably what I would do is I would just feed your soil, get some compost, you know, dig some holes or auger some holes, backfill the you know the the holes that you're doing underneath. The, let's say the pine trees with compost and then also because pines like uh let's say an acidic soil they also like iron maybe get iron sulfate and sprinkle that on the ground according to what the you know the label says on the bag or the package that you buy that's about all i would do i wouldn't fertilizing is not going to really do all that much
1: okay thank you very much i really appreciate your show and you
2: well (laughs) thanks for having me on your show and, again, it's just, you know, don't worry too much. This is a cosmetic thing with the needles, and nothing is going to change them unless they, until they fall off. So, Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting
1: Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX.
2: Yes, folks, any questions, concerns, or comments, 314 436 or one 800 Nine two five eleven twenty. 925 As you're looking out, as I talked about, if you were listening, uh, you know, I got my pansies, got them in. There's violas, which are kind of small pansies. Personally, I like the pansies because the flowers are bigger. And uh, when you're buying things, in reality, I know we like to see the color and everything else. But I try to pick out the flats that have the least amount of flowers on them because, really... Something, even though I don't take them out of the cell packs or anything else, whenever, if you do, anything in flower is going to be stressed by replanting, transplanting, or anything else. So as long as you know that the tag is right, everything is good, the foliage looks good on the plant material, get your plants, if you're buying your annuals, with no flowers or a minimum amount of flowers. That's, you know, it's just better for you the overall let's say aesthetics of the thing it's going to be a longer period of time that uh, it will bloom and in reality the you know the pansies only have a couple months so enjoy them get them in the ground and have fun with the outdoors. Kathy lives in St. Louis. Kathy, how are you?
0: I'm fine. How are you, sir? Very good. I have I have not put down a pre-emergent. Have I lost my window of opportunity?
2: <sighs> well, not necessarily, but uh, you could. You know, I mean, if you, I'm sure you don't have a, you know, a soil, th- you know, thermometer or anything else. But it just depends upon your your individual yard location and everything else. Basically, I recommend putting it down at the same time the Forsythia, the yellow flowering shrub, is in bloom. So I have not seen any of those except in one place. You know, as I wander around or whatever, that's been in bloom yet. So, you still got an opportunity to do that as long as you know that there's only certain things that that's, you know, you already, if you have weeds in your yard already, that's not going to really help with those weeds because they're going to drop the seeds. And th- those are cool season weeds that are not going to germinate till next August. But the warm-season weeds, like uh, the crab grasses and the foxtails and all that other stuff, uh, spurges, you can go ahead and get it down and uh, keep your fingers crossed that you got it down in time.
0: Okay, let me ask you this, then. Um, if, I, if I put it down tomorrow, buy it and put it down tomorrow, it's supposed to rain like mad on Monday and Tuesday. <laughs> Should I wait? <laughs>
2: You, yeah, because, I mean, you really want to water it in because what it is is a granular form. You, you water it in so you can spread and create a barrier on top of the surface. And what that barrier does is there's seeds underneath it of any type. So consequently, when those seeds sprout, they get killed by that you know barrier that you've created, chemical barrier that you've created. Now, realize, too, that if you're going to put regular grass seed down, you cannot put the pre-emergent down. You know, because it's going to kill any seed. It doesn't care what type it is.
0: No, so, these are in flower beds.
2: Oh, so, well, I would probably use a product called Preen then. Okay. And that's going to you know, work a lot better than, let's say, the traditional type of let's uh, pre-emergent that you would use in your lawn. So Preen is specifically formulated for bed spaces.
0: Okay, and it, I can put that under my holly and it won't hurt the holly?
2: It won't hurt the holly at all. It strictly goes after seeds that are germinating. Okay. And, and also, I mean, if it's going to pour, which we assume it is, but we really don't know, I wouldn't probably put the preen down, you know, until we kind of get a couple days where it's not going to pour. So, in other words, if you put okay. it down Sunday and it pours on Monday, Thank that's you. not so good.
0: Okay, okay. And, um, you know, okay, that, that'll work. I, that's what I was going to ask you. I really appreciate this.
2: Well, thanks. Thanks for calling. I appreciate okay. you having me on your show.
0: Well,
2: thank you. And other things that you need to be thinking about. um, Another way, let's say, you look and you see all these things at the garden center. And what's, uh, let's say, a flowering trigger? Because you always hear me talk about, you know, put the pre-emergent down when the forsythia is in bloom. Well, probably transplanting the, you know, the hardy annuals or the tough annuals. I shouldn't say hardy is the best time, you can put them down sooner if you want to, just like I've done already, you know, the uh, pansies. But when the crab apples are in flower, that's a really good time to, you know, start planting in the outdoors, the annuals, the summer-type annuals, the begonias and those type things, the daffodils, and that's not daffodils, that's a bulb, but uh, the begonias and the, let's see, what else? Hmm, Geraniums, there's all kinds of different. There's uh, periwinkles. And so wait until that's you know the or the crab apples are in bloom. Another thing, if you get a young tree and you plant, and you're worried about sunscald, because a lot of times that splits the bark, and we always you know a lot of times people think that that's a, a you know caused by insects or something else. A lot of times sunscald can split bark on a tree. I don't know if they're still doing it. It doesn't seem like I'm noticing it all that much, but there are trees in days of old that would have an orange dot painted on the trunk. That orange dot should be always oriented towards the north. So in other words, that's the side of the tree trunk that was not facing the sun when it was being grown in the production nursery. In theory, it shouldn't have been facing the sun when it's in the retail nursery, So, but you know, if they're not doing that so much anymore, what you can do is young trees that you're putting in the in your landscape to protect it, you know, the tree trunk from the sun scald, and it's just like sunburn that people get or anything else. It's just kind of different because it's a plant. You can use uh, interior white latex paint, and ultimately it's going to you know disappear because it is. You know, interior. It's water-based type paint, and it'll stay there for you know a period of time until the you know the let's say the worst part of the sun is going to like not have the ability to cause any kind of sun scald on the tree trunk anymore. Watch out right now because not quite yet, but really soon for the eastern tent caterpillars. Those are those big webby things. Just you can go out and destroy those tent caterpillar webs. And what that does, the webbing is just something that evolved with the Eastern tent Caterpillar. And consequently, it protects them because the birds can't peck through to get the caterpillars. So that's a protection thing. So if you disrupt that webbing, then it's going to make it so the birds can get them. Also, there's a product called DIPEL, D-I-P-E-L. If you want to spray, it's a safe biological, you know, spray or control. And... Uh, Do not prune your boxwoods too soon, except this is a time of year, as I've talked about winter damage on boxwood, broadleaf evergreens, hollies, lots of different things, and you can go ahead and cut off any of the, let's say, damage, the brownish leaves on broadleaf evergreens because they're not going to come back. They're not going to return to green or anything else. But just overall general pruning, you want to wait till about mid-April or so before you start pruning on your boxwood. Also, with any of your hedges, I see this happen so often. Hedges are great. I'm not a real fan of them personally. But when you prune your hedge, always make sure the bottom is wider than the top because if you don't do that what's going to happen is you're going to all of a sudden over a period of time it's going to end up like a reverse triangle. So in other words the base is going to be more narrow than the top. So consequently you're not going to have any needles or leaves or anything even if it's a deciduous shrub, broadleaf evergreen or you know a conifer, or something with needles on the bottom. So you know, so make sure that you slightly slope the top in From the bottom. So in other words, the bottom is narrower. You don't have to make it dramatic, but you got to make it so enough or so sunlight is going to actually hit the bottom part of your shrub. And uh, remember, too, that if you plant too, you know, if you plant shrubs too close to your house over time, the backside of your shrub or, you know, is not going to have any light. So then you're going to end up with sort of a naked side. And if you're looking out a window, that's not necessarily a real pleasant thing to look at. So if you do have any questions, you can give us a call at 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. So is Jack there? Jack from Burns Mill? Jack, how are you today?
1: Hello. Hi. Uh, hey, when's the best time to treat for fungus?
2: Uh, basically, you're talking about lawn fungus? yes. Uh, you don't want to do it it's a little bit early yet but you want to do it before you see it so probably you know it's kind of hard calendar wise but I would say look at mid-april that would be my first application and then depending upon what type of fungus fungicides you're putting down just follow the routine with it So if you've had a history of fungus you know problems mid I would look at mid-april so in other words about you know two or three weeks from now. And then about every month all the way up and through uh, probably mid, you know, maybe mid-September. Again, depending upon what kind of lawn you have and what kind of fungus problems you've had. But preventative is by far better than once you see it to try to. So, in other words, stay proactive. That's what you're going to try to do.
1: Okay. Thank you very much.
2: Yep. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, any questions, concerns, or comments, give us a call, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Greg will answer. He'll ask your name and where you're calling from, and that's about all you have to do. And, um, you know, Jack, he was going to be up next. Sorry, Jack, but you had something else to do. Okay, and let's go and see what's going on with Scott today. Scott, how are you?
1: Hey, Mike, thanks. I'm doing well. Um, I just, I'm a first-time homebuyer, so I'm looking to probably, you know, in the break uh, in weather tomorrow, get some seed and, and do some things just to kind of prep the lawn, and, and I, I don't have any experience doing that. So I'm looking just for some easy tips to kind of ease my way into it uh, that might be, you know, helpful coming up here this spring.
2: Well, I tell you what. Before I would do anything, I'd have somebody come out and do a core a- core aeration. That's where they have a machine. It's going to go over your entire lawn area, and it's going to pull plugs out of the ground. And these plugs are going to be like wine bottle corks. That's where I would start. Because is this new construction or is this, you know, construction that's been around for a while?
1: Yeah, it's been around for a while, and. The front yard is real small and and almost oddly shaped on a on a on a hill. So the backyard is is patchy and so it's almost something I feel like I could do just by spot treatment. I don't know if that if that's recommended though.
2: It's probably to be honest with you you can do that, but it's not going to be the best thing to do. You should go and start and get, you know, go to kind of get to ground zero and go from there. And that's what the uh, core aeration is going to do. If you want to do it, that's fine. It's up to you. It's your yard. It's your money. It's everything else. But uh, just going out there and raking the areas that are really bad and putting some grass seed down, should you, is that's what you want to do. And with a seed starter f- type fertilizer, um, That's about the best thing you could possibly do. And if we are going to have, you know, like the lady called in earlier and said, we may have huge downpours on Monday and Tuesday, if your yard is the least bit sloped and you put grass seed down tomorrow, that grass seed is going to end up at the bottom of the hill. It's not going to stay where you've placed it.
1: Gotcha. And, and and I'm kind of teetering between doing it myself, like I, uh, you know, like we're talking about, and then and then hiring somebody to do the aeration and, and, and get the full system, like you said, start ground zero. And I'm trying, I'm just trying to weigh the options. So maybe that maybe that is kind of the the, the path to take. Um, and then from there, it might be a little bit easier to maintain. is what it sounds like.
2: <laughs> yeah, because if you you know if you just start like, and just kind of try to pick out various places that you think really look bad now how long have you been in your home let's put it, let me go back a little bit a uh, year and a half oh so you've really seen it you've seen it through the worst and the best you know of the growing yeah. season i'm assuming that you have a cool season lawn is it looking pretty vibrant and green right now
1: yeah yeah except for those uh, those trouble troublesome patches right yeah. so
2: and again just you know rake them up really well any of that debris don't leave sit because that's you know that could be problematic and put the seed down if you want to try it this year, and then make the decision if you want to have a professional service come out and sort of like get everything to ground zero and start, you know, building a good lawn up from that standpoint.
1: Yeah, and I guess I guess my biggest concern is is the wife is on me to to make something happen. Like I, you know, I sell insurance, not not grow grass. So, <laughs> uh, and uh, and so that's my biggest concern, I guess. So. If I, if I go the, the do-it-yourself route, right. and, and, and then if, if I fail at that, will, will I have time to, to recuperate my marriage uh, down the road here this year?
2: It <laughs> all depends on how bad it really is. <laughs> right, Not well, your I marriage, I meant your lawn. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, right. All right, well, hey, I appreciate your time, and um, uh, keep listening here, buddy. Thanks.
2: Yeah, I mean, the ideal time to be putting grass seed down is going to be when the ground is a little bit warmer than what it is right now. So I usually recommend mid-April or so to put the grass seed down. Then you can, you know, fool with it, see what you think and everything else. And if you're not satisfied with it, then really the renovation for lawn can certainly happen in the fall, in late August through September and even early October. So you really have two times a year to do it. And a lot of times fall is, you know, the September, October, late August period of time is the best time to do it as opposed to in the springtime because the ground is warming up, yes. But the ground is still pretty cool and, you know, the grass seed and everything else is going to be a little bit more problematic than it is in, you know, later in the late summer and early fall because the ground's really warm due to summertime.
1: Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. That makes you feel a little better. I felt like I was kind of pinched for time here. So
2: (laughs) No, you got Uh, time.
1: Good, good. All right. Well, if she has any questions, I'll have her call in, okay?
2: Yes. Well, thanks, Scott. And Therese from Potosi, how are you today?
0: I am good. How about you? Very good. I had two questions today. One is we are wanting to put down a pre-emergence and a fertilizer on our lawn, but we've got free-range ducks, so we weren't sure if that was going to bug them at all. (laughs) And then the other is I've got an amaryllis in a pot that's getting really crowded with the new bulbs coming up. And so I was wondering when the best time is to separate that.
2: I would say just leave the Amaryllis alone. Okay. I mean... If I was going to do anything, you're lucky that you're getting all kinds of bulbs, you know, popping off the original, let's say, mother bulb. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, just put it in a larger pot, you know, about one inch larger. That's all I would do, and okay. you know, do that as opposed to trying to pull the bulb off. Because if you do pull the bulbs off, the, the young ones on the side, you're going to have to let them heal. They're probably pretty small, and you're going to have a long, long time to wait before you're going to get much aesthetic value out of them beyond the foliage. And as far as the free-range ducks and the pre-emergence stuff like that, I would have a tendency to kind of stay away from the pre-emergence, because and maybe just do like an uh, like an organic type fertilizer. That should be the, fe- the you know the safest thing to do, and not worry about if you got clover or if you have this or that these kind of weeds you know in your lawn. Just as long as it's green, it's green and that's good.
0: All right. Well, thank you very much. Certainly.
2: And that philosophy goes back to my father. You know, growing up in Ellisville where we had all these maple trees and he could care less as long as it was green. And sometimes he didn't even care if it was green. So let's go to Highland, Illinois and Tom's yard. Hi, Tom.
1: Hello, Mike. Uh, Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I've got a, a large area in my yard which is heavily shaded. And so there's obviously no grass. Right. Uh, over and and at, over time, it it erodes a little bit. So I'm having some of the roots from the trees in the area that are coming through the ground. Right. And I'm looking for something that will I can do to to halt the erosion and have some green in that area. Is there anything I can plant? Basically, that would, you're looking uh, at cl- take care of that problem. Yeah, basically,
2: you're looking at classic type ground covers. So you're looking at periwinkles, ivies, things along that line. Is And as far as the surface rooting on the trees go, that's just kind of a natural circumstance with a lot of the different trees that grow in this region. So the erosion, you know, is obviously there's a slope there. And so consequently, you're looking at uh, there's like you know you're not going to ever have a successful lawn. So the broadleaf or the evergreen type ground covers, the periwinkles, ivies and something like that, and then maybe mix in. Uh, let's say, an herbaceous-type ground cover like snow on the mountain, because there's several different kinds of snow on the mountain, but one of them is aegopodium, A-E-G-O-P-O-D-I-U-M. And mix that in with the evergreen ground covers just to give it a little bit of, let's say, variety. There's another type of ground cover that you could use called monkey grass or liriope, L-I-R-I-O-P-E, and use the variety spicata, because it's a spreading type. So you might get some of each of those, try them, and see which one is going to be the most successful in your scenario, and then buy more and more and more of the one that's most successful. All right, thanks for the tip. Yep, good luck with that. And Rick and Grover, could you do it kind of quick?
1: Hi, Mike. Hi. Yeah, fellow uh, Lancer. Mike, we've got some azaleas we bought, and uh, they were indoors. They've already bloomed. And uh, so we want to plant them in a northeast corner. When should I do that?
2: Uh, if they're varieties, where did you actually get them?
1: Uh, they were just down the street there, this Duchess uh, of Cyprus um, here at uh, Costco.
2: Okay. So I would say if they were inside, which sounds like those varieties are not going to be hardy in the outdoors. Those were you know, varieties. You could try them outside if you want to. But my, you know, my thought is they're not going to be all that successful for you.
1: Not that successful, okay. right?
2: Because they're they're basically you know, pro, you know produce for interior circumstances, so they're not really the hardy varieties at all. So, okay. I mean, you could do yeah. it, but uh, my th- my yeah. thought would be, as a lot of work. And if you do, let's say, get some different azaleas, consequently, you want to prepare the soil before you buy your azaleas. You want to add some compost, organic matter. You want to make sure that the soil has adequate iron, adequate sulfur to get the pH just right, and definitely don't plant them too close to the foundation because the foundation, the cement leaches alkalinity into the ground, and that's kind of contrary to what the azaleas really want.
1: Right, right. Well, go Lancers. Mike, thanks for your help.
2: (laughs) Yeah, go Lancers, (laughs) right. Class of 67, that's me. (laughs) Yeah, I was
1: just a little behind you. Mike, one other little quick question. What about tomatoes? They haven't done well. What do you, should we add some uh, mushroom
2: compost? You could certainly do that, but also fertilizing with a fertilizer for tomatoes. It's you know because it's, yeah. it's going to have calcium. It's going to have all a lot of the other nutrients that let's say normal fertilizers do not have. But fertilize them every like they need a lot of food, so fertilize yeah, them every yeah. two weeks or so.
1: Very good. Mike, thank you. We love your show.
2: Well, thank you, and thanks for having me on your show, as you know. So if you do, if anybody else has any questions, concerns, or comments, we have another hour of the Garden Hotline. You can give us a call at 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Minimize the amount of, like, foot traffic you're going to be walking across your yard and stuff because it's going to compact the soil, and that makes it rough for anything, whether it's bed space or your lawn or anything else. And soil compaction is really bad news. That's why you can't grow grass if you have dogs that run along fences. The soil's too compacted. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after the news. The voice
1: of the Cardinals. News Radio 1120 KMOX. KMOX HD St. Louis.
2: 102.5 KEZK HD 3 St. Louis. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy,